On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by George Vassan, where we talk about experiencing bullying growing up, finding healthy male friends, and the questions that he has started to ask about modern romantic relationships. We also discuss how each of us took large perceived step backs in title and clout in order to stay true to ourselves and work towards happiness. I hope you enjoy. Everyone, welcome to journey number nine. And today I'm joined by George Vassan. Did I get that right? You did not do that. <laughs> I broke the streak of fucking up names like I told you before, but um, how are you doing today? Uh, lovely. We got like three feet of snow this time last year, so the fact that fall is still a thing uh, amazes me. Um, yeah, what are you, Jared? Good, good. Yeah, me too. I Like every day, I, I just expect to wake up and it just be white outside, so I'm quite, yeah. quite happy that there's still sunshine. I live in this really cute neighborhood too, uh, Bridgeland. Okay. And, you know, the neighborhood kids are like raking our lawns and people are making cookies and putting up Halloween decorations. So it feels like Ferris Bueller's neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that also adds to the, to the whole feel. Love that. Yeah. Um, so kind of getting into it, I guess, to start, uh, if you could just kind of give us some context on, you know, like who you are, you know, where you grew up, um, what kind of things you were doing, you know, what you were like as a child, um, things like that. Okay, pretty open-ended. Uh, well, okay, so I was born in I was born in Romania. I immigrated here as a child with both my parents, who are also from Romania. I come from a generation of farmers, and uh, I'm a child of divorce. And I grew up with my dad, and uh, love both my parents. Um, have have preferences, but grew up like I think many immigrant kids, probably getting like bullied a lot. Um, but it contributed to like, yeah, these days I'm very grateful because it contributed to an overall sense of, uh, generally speaking, like most problems are pretty small for me now just because I've been through the fucking ringer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just like all immigrant families, I just, as soon as I came out of the womb, I got stamped with like doctor, lawyer, engineer. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in high school, I found that like school, I don't know, it just wasn't working for me for some reason. Um, and part of it had to do with that pressure from family. I'm sure like you're a kid and you just rebel. And the one thing that I you know, had to rebel against was the top priority for my parents, which is schooling. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that led me down the path of like starting a business in university. Um, so ran this college pro franchise where, you know, they take students, they give them a business, they help with the upfront costs and that business is house painting. So interior, exterior house painting. And I dropped out of school to do that in university. Um, I dropped out second semester because I was going to school like eight to five and then just knocking on doors all winter, like five to eight, five to nine, oftentimes in balaclavas and mitts, <laughs> knocking on people's doors <laughs> yeah. when it's dark out, um, which has a pretty bad look, uh, but I had a bright yellow clipboard and like an <laughs> ear to ear smile, so it was fine. Um, and I liked that business and it was really challenging, um, but I was able to hire a team of people and keep them employed over the summer. Um, six university students who were able to pay off that year's tuition. And I, I just really liked that. So I basically continued into uh, entrepreneurship in another capacity, but I'm sure we'll get into that. So that's, um, that's my context, I guess. Cool. I love that. And, you know, as you were talking, I think that we, we spoke years ago because I did a really similar um, business just with a different company, Scholars Edge. 
um, a lot Dollar's of Dollar's Edge, yeah. Yeah, and so um, I know all about the knocking on doors and the mittens and freezing cold and trying to convince <laughs> people that you're going to paint their house to like six months from now. So yeah, <laughs> well, we need to go over some more stories for sure on that for another day. But um, totally. yeah, kind of going back to something and it's, it's interesting. It has been a little bit of a common theme um, with some of the people that I've talked to is the idea of like getting bullied growing up. Right. And so like I was bullied a lot when I was growing up as well. And, you know, it kind of stemmed from me moving schools right in the middle of elementary and not necessarily having those relationships with kids, um, which took a couple of years to, um, you know, develop. And, you know, do you like for me, I, I think a lot of it came from also almost, uh, you know, what's, what's the word of like ignorance of like not understanding that like not everyone just didn't want to be my friend. Right. And like, that's kind of what I just thought. I'm just like, Oh, everybody wants to be my friend. And then going in and like, well, wait, they're, they're being mean to me. This doesn't make sense. Like they still want to be my friend. Right. And so, um, you said that you, you know, you were born in Romania. Um, do you think that for you, like, was it, you know, did people pick up on that? Like, was there a language barrier? Was there, again, the idea of like coming in halfway through, like, where do you think that sort of started? Uh, Yeah, it didn't help. It didn't help that I had an accent, like a funny haircut. My parents wanted me to look proper and have a comb over, like a slicked back comb over in grade, like grade three, that doesn't fly. You know, everyone has like Heelys and is like playing hockey and playing basketball. And I just don't do those things. Um, so it wasn't a language barrier, but it was like, I was also a little bit chubby. So it was, it was like, who's this, you know, kid that's fresh off the boat. Um, we don't know him. And I think generally speaking, kids are pretty averse to things that they don't know, including people. And like I was too, you know, I wasn't, I don't think that I bully people, but there were probably times where I did. And just because I didn't like know them. So, uh, it's not. I'm not just like a pure victim or it's not all on me, but I think just being different is a pretty common theme mm-hmm. um, in my life. And forever, it was a bad thing until, I don't know, like late adolescence or like early adulthood that I realized it was a gigantic fucking edge. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think that's like such a good look on it too, of, um, you know, realizing that a lot of strength comes from, you know, hardships or difficult times. Right. And for me, it was a little bit different where I completely ignored it and went like, oh, this didn't affect me at all until, you know, (laughs) two years ago. (laughs) And then being like, okay, you know what, actually, like, you know, a lot of what I learned about relationships and friendships and everything like that were molded from back then, um, from when I was a child. And, you know, kind of that idea that like people, you know, people treating me badly shows me that they want to be my friend or want a relationship with me. And so that was a little bit of unlearning that I had to do um, on my end. And it's really been a tough journey of now that I realize that wrapping my head around, you know, the idea of, you know, those hardships that I went through also have created who I am today. And so actually being thankful for them, even though they sucked, like I really fucking sucked, (laughs) but, you know, trying to, trying to change that where being thankful for them, for what it has given me as well as acknowledging, you know, um, the negative effects as well. This is something that I've been thinking about. So I, I want to ask you, like, why did you gravitate towards 
trying to make something out of people that are clearly not into like being good people to you. Cause I would gravitate towards, I don't know, like we see this a lot. You put effort into people that don't give a shit about you or that treat you like shit. Um, but that needs to start somewhere. And like, I think that it probably started with my parents, just like being really busy immigrants working super hard, having university degrees, but not applying in Canada. So they have to like huge chip on their shoulder, too busy for their kid. Um, and so it probably started with my parents, but like how, you know, why was it the case for you? How'd you move past it? For sure. And yeah, like for me, it started with my parents as well. Um, and it was a big realization that I've come to, uh, again, probably just in the last year here, but, um, and it's not, I've worked really hard to make sure that I'm not blaming my mom, but acknowledging that, you know, as a child, the way that I took it led to my relationships today. And so what I mean by that mm -hmm. is, um, my mom's advice when I came home and told her that I was being picked on, right. Or that like the kids, I wasn't getting along with the kids or, you know, that they didn't actually, you know, want me to play with them, whatever it might've been. Um, her advice was, oh, they actually just want to be your friends. And so if you're nice to them, like, that's why they're doing it. They're doing it because they actually want to be your friends. Like they're not doing it because they don't like you. And so subconsciously I took that as like, okay, people yeah. treating me poorly shows me that they care about me. Right. And that was kind of subconsciously put into my brain in elementary school. Yeah. And so throughout my entire life, that's what I would search for. Right. Is I would search for relationships where people put me down, um, or were uneven or whatever it might be, because in my mind that showed me that they cared about me. And it was almost like an uncomfortable feeling if somebody was only nice. And I'm like, sure. you know, this is weird. Like they can't just like me. Like they can't just be nice to me all the time. Like that doesn't fit the narrative that I've told myself for, you know, 15 years. And yeah, it wasn't until I realized that and then saw that it played out in basically all of my relationships that I've ever had, you know, relationships being romantic, friendships, whatever it might be, is like not only a tolerance for it, but almost searching for it where, you know, they, they treat me poorly or put me down sometimes because to me, that is what a relationship is supposed to be. While that you're able to I don't know, remember the moment that triggered that? Because these unconscious patterns definitely start with a single moment, just like one conversation, but it's hard to pinpoint most of the time. So yeah, fascinated that you recall that. Yeah. And it, it's funny too, of like, you know, what we recall and what we don't recall, because I very <laughs> clearly remember that, right? <laughs> and I remember, I remember like who it was. I remember what I ended up doing and I think it, it's funny because it was almost like a false reinforcement as well, because what ended up happening was there was one specific um, boy, I remember, and I think it might've been a couple, but I remember one specific of, you know, he was picking on me and I told my mom and she said, oh, like, you know, he just wants to be friends. And so I went, okay. So I went to school and basically it's so funny that like, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but um, I went to school and I asked him if he wanted to race. And I was like, okay, he actually just wants to be my friend. Let's find something that we can do. And okay. then ask him to like to race. <laughs> we would race for like a week and then we ended up becoming friends. And so it was that, wow. like, it, you know, and again, this is probably grade two. 
because that's when I moved schools. And so, you know, that false positive of like, oh, this person that was picking on me actually did want to be my friend. Therefore, everybody who picks on me wants to be my friend if I try hard, right? Gotcha. So it ended up working fine this time, but as a general rule of thumb, it's maybe not the best. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so cool. yeah, it's, you know, it was something also that I've really kind of dug into with my therapist of, you know, the idea that a lot of what we know are opinions that were formed when we were in elementary, junior high school, you know, when we were very, very young. And yeah you know, we, we form these opinions and they just become facts to us, you know, as our life goes on. And then when we actually become aware of them and looking back on them and going, oh, like now as a 26 year old, you know, is that lesson the same that, you know, I, I had decided when I was 12? Most of the time yeah. it's not. And so going back and seeing what's actually, you know, quote unquote true and what I've decided is true. I've called those opinions, uh, I've just called them stories. Like these stories get made up where we're the main character and the story follows a plot. Yeah. Um, but we kind of just like, wow, we don't write them for ourselves. We wind up in them as children and as we go into adolescence. And only in the past like couple of years have I been able to uh, look back and say like, I don't want that story, but I'll write a new one. You yeah. know, like that, that story is not factual. Because yeah. none, none of this, none of, no, no life's factual. <laughs> Nothing's real. Yeah. Which is kind of, <clears throat> no, I'm not, I'm not a nihilist. But uh, yeah, the stories get to be rewritten in a, in a way that is like super empowering. Um, yeah. But they go unobserved. Worst case scenario, they go unobserved your entire life. Yeah. Yeah. In best case, like you do the work, you find a therapist, you talk to your friends, you meditate and you really look inwards in times of uh difficulty and try to like unpack what's happening yeah that's that's best case yeah I, I love that idea of like you know being put into the story right and um yeah and then for, like for me when you're talking when you said that it was like realizing that you're in control of the story right you can choose your own story and you don't have yeah. to go along with the one that's been presented to you um, I'm just, I'm curious, can you pick out anything specific of like, from those times when you were younger of like a lesson that you learned or a story that you told yourself that you now, um, push against? Like, does anything specific come to mind? Uh, yeah, two things come to mind. The first one's money. Um, I created a, I wound up in a story that money's bad mm. because there was only negative context around money. There was obviously like we need to have more um, because we were pretty broke uh, forever. <clears throat> but it wasn't just about like being broke. It was about any time a conversation about money came up, it had a negative con it had a negative context. So it was, oh, this person owes me, or we don't have enough, or I'm not being paid enough, um, or it's always, you know, it's always leaving, it's never coming in. So I generally started to associate like bad feelings with money and in my adolescence I started to earn and you know get jobs mm -hmm. I would just get rid of it like I would just spend it because keeping it would bring negative consequences is the yeah. story um, and obviously there's that whole conversation around like 
rich people are evil. Uh, and that was a part of it, but I knew that I was never, or rather I thought that I was never going to be super wealthy or rich. So I didn't think that I was going to become some evil genius. It was more about like, if, if I had any level of comfort or mediocrity, like something bad was going to happen. Um, so that was one conversation. And a second one was, yeah, second one was around like women. And I guess the, the context was, uh, learn this from my dad or maybe rather like learned what not to do. Um, but it was like, they come and they go. Yeah. Cause I had like a broken family. Um, there was just like a revolving door of partners on my dad's end. Um, and so I think that conversation, the story that I wound up in there was, yeah, they, they come and they go, but at the same time, put a lot of emphasis on filling a, filling a void, like didn't have a mother figure, didn't have a consistent, like uh leader that was a woman. Yeah. And yeah, in recent years, that's just like been totally, totally abolished. And like, I do have female, female leaders right now in my life and there's no void to fill. Um, so I guess those are two that come to mind. Cool. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah. And you know, it, it's funny, a lot of times I feel, I feel like kids as, as children, we either end up following very closely in our parents' path or pushing a hundred percent against them and doing mm -hmm. the exact opposite. Right. And all, you know, 99% of the time, it's actually somewhere in the middle. And so even just realizing that of, yeah, you know, like for, for me, that's been huge. If I can't just do the exact opposite or I can't do the exact same as either of my parents, because neither works for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And it might've worked for them. And sometimes it hasn't worked for them, <laughs> but you know, either way, you know, finding that middle ground and finding truly like t trying to take those lessons that I learned and apply them to myself instead of taking them as, you know, fact. And that's the way that things need to be done or that's, yeah. that's the way things aren't done. And so I have to do the opposite. I, I think you nailed it in terms of applying it to yourself. And ultimately it is so fucking rad when you start to decide for yourself what you like and you can just pick and choose. You can go like this and this and, Oh, hold on. Not that. And that's what, that's what Jared likes. That's what George likes. Yeah. Um, so it's not going to be about polar opposites or like focusing in entirely on one thing. Cause we learned that, but, uh, as I've grown, it's just been totally a game of, I can like what I like and I don't need to like the things that I have liked previously or that I'm told to like. Um, and life is just better when I choose those things wholeheartedly. Love that. Love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I guess switching gears a little bit, um, you know, you and I, we connected for the first time in a couple of years, I think, uh, a couple of weeks ago and ended up going for a drink and like, you know, saying publicly to you that it was one of the most, you know, one of the best conversations I've had in a really long time. And I didn't go in with the expectations of, um, just no expectations really. And then ended up having a really good chat and really thankful for that chat. And I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, and one of the things that really stood out for me uh, was, you know, you mentioned that you have a very close group of male friends and that you guys have always, you know, told each other that you love each other and, you know, complimented each other. And, you know, 
that seems so foreign to me. It's just a new concept um, in the last, you know, little while that, you know, men can say, I love you to each other and they can compliment each other. And it's not just, you know, constant putting each other down or too insecure to, to, you know, say that I love you in a platonic way. Right. And I was just curious, you know, if you have any insight on how that developed, do you think it's just the type of people that you are in general and so you happen to gravitate towards each other? Was it something that developed as you guys were friends over a period of time? Um, because I think it's super uncommon, but also super healthy. And so, um, yeah, just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. I wish that I could reverse engineer this a little bit for you, but thinking back on the times that I uh, met all of these guy friends, <clears throat> if let's just say like three of them were already hanging out and I'd be the new person to the group uh, right off the bat, it would just be like immediate kindness and respect for one another. So I have no idea how it formed. Um, I think that ultimately it it comes down to the type of people that we are. Mm -hmm. Um, I know for me, I put so much emphasis into friends because they're my, they're my chosen family, you know, I guess someone who didn't have, uh, people to lean on like my friends became that and they became uh pillars so i do so much to like you know maintain and respect those pillars and i think uh they reciprocate that and if i found people who didn't reciprocate that then i would just piece the fuck out until i find people who do and now we've just reached this like mutual understanding um and know what it takes i think we all just know what it takes to maintain these friendships and see just how magical they are. And so it's easier to uphold, but I have no idea how it started because I don't know how you walk into a group of friends that you don't know and start, you know, um, at least in at maybe in adolescence uh, and probably in adulthood to meet a group of guys for the first time and start being anti-toxic masculinity, start being kind, like start complimenting people. Um, it seems like, uh, a big step, but it's, I don't know. I think it's required to set a precedent for what that friendship is going to be. For sure. No. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's something that I've struggled with too, right? Is like, how do you set up a relationship to be that way? Right. And for me, when I think about it, I feel like a lot of it is just even removing, call it, you know, like a stigma around it. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. You know, just making it okay for healthy um, relationships like that. And, you know, almost, you know, just by uh, like kind of leading by example, right? Of showing people that it's okay, showing people that you can still be, you know, call it masculine and in touch with your feelings and vulnerable. Yeah. And, and you know, that's a really interesting balance that I've, I've put a lot of thought into, right? Because a lot of times I feel, you know, when people hear about like friendships like that between men, it's, oh, they're probably like, you know, like super spiritual, super passive, super, you know, like in touch with their feminine and um, sure. And that's true. And like, that's also more than okay. And I think too, the idea of adding some of those into, um, you know, what masculinity is as a, as a whole, I think it's super important. And so I was just, I was so excited and so glad to hear that you had those relationships uh, with your friends because outside of, you know, the new group of uh, men that I started um, surrounding myself with, I'd never seen that. 
And so, yeah, uh, yeah it's super cool to, to see a new, another group that's completely removed um, to have something similar. It is so magical. And I was on a date. I was on a date last night and one of my friends texted me. Uh, I just told this girl I love her. <laughs> and so I not uh, like I'm not normally on my phone on <laughs> yeah. dates, but I had to just turn to her and be like, look, this is this is what he just said. We're going to have a quick conversation right now. I'm going to text him back. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I texted another friend who's a friend of this friend. And we started talking about it. Uh, and she was floored. She's like, I didn't know that guys do that. You know, it's so cute that you guys are just talking about this right now. Yeah. And that you're bouncing ideas off one another. And I was floored that she was floored because it's, to me, it's normal. It like, I do that to my friends. Um, that's just the kind of conversations that we have, but it was interesting to hear that that is, you know, not the norm. Um, Cause I get, call it maybe ignorance or just being oblivious, but I just pay attention to the circle that I have. And I, it surprises me that there's, you know, guys who don't do that. And I just don't pay that any thought because I, I don't, I feel like a crackhead and my brain's always spinning and I just don't have time to like, I just don't have time for that. Yeah. So it surprises me um, that there are still contexts where you know guys can't reach out to one another about things that they're very excited about. Yeah. And that girls particularly see that as like a huge step for, for men. For sure. It's bizarre. Yeah. No, that's, that's so cool. I love that. And, um, you know, sometimes those reactions are like the things that sink in most of, you know, something that yeah. you do yeah. either like, it's just normal to you or just something that you've done and you don't expect the reaction back. Um, and like, so what comes up for me was a story of, uh, uh, I was at one of the King of Hearts, Heart to Heart events um, before COVID. And so we were there in a group of people and the idea of, you know, men struggling with body image came up mm -hmm. and, you know, we were talking about it. A lot of the guys kind of chimed in and then there were these, I think it was two or three girls. And when it was their turn to speak, like the first thing that came out of their mouth was like, I didn't know that guys struggled with this. And being like, yeah. Yeah, right. And like the, the idea that it's been so driven into us that we're not allowed to, that, you know, people from the outside just think that it's not a thing. Right. And so yeah. having those open conversations and just like telling people of like, you know, yeah, these are things that go on or these are things that I do. And again, just almost normalizing it. Like it doesn't have exactly. to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be like life changing, but just normalizing it, I think is a huge step. That's a really good point on the body image, but specifically saying it without a lot of significance behind it. Like, yeah, we struggle with it too, you know, but I'm, I'm still going to eat breakfast today. Yeah. You know, like it's just a thing that we struggle with um, and not making, I want to say not making mountains out of molehills, but that's also not to say that there are some contexts where it requires to be a mountain, mm -hmm. like where it really requires to be, requires someone to address it and get close to it. Um, but just having it be another thing that is taking a mental space for us, something that we deal with and that we talk about is huge. Um, another thing that needs to be normalized for, in order for guys to be more affectionate, I think is just being gay. Okay. So like not that being affectionate um, or being nice to your guy friends or like talking about your lives is gay, but that's the first thing that comes up. Like, no, I don't want to seem gay right those things are gay 
because yeah. there's just negative context around like who you choose as a romantic partner. If we could <laughs> just stop doing that, <laughs> yeah. then maybe guys will feel more inclined to be like emotionally available with their guy friends, with yeah. their with their romantic partners, be that male or female. Um, but specifically like, yeah, straight, cis, white guys who are afraid of appearing gay, it's all good, man. Like you don't need to worry about that because being gay is also awesome and you can yeah. tell your friends you love them and they look great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny how that's the almost automatic reaction, right? To everything, yeah. right? Is like, oh, you know, you've, <laughs> you've acknowledged a feeling that means you're gay, right? Like, you know, you're complimenting another guy, like, must be gay, right? And it's, it's so crazy of like how that works, right? Of, and I, you know, it's funny, even just thinking about it right now, it's, it's drilled, I felt like it was drilled into me at a very young age too. Yes, I was just gonna say that. Right, of like, you know, I remember, you know, in junior high of like, you know, that was the response to a lot of things. Like, well, what are you gay, right? And yeah. Yeah, just again, removing that, like you're saying, you know, almost removing the stigma around that. And like, if you are, cool. <laughs> right? And there's nothing wrong with it. Um, and just because you, yeah, you compliment a guy or are in touch with your feelings also does not mean that you're automatically gay. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Cool. Um, so switching gears a little bit, and we touched on it at the beginning, is, um, you know, a little bit of entrepreneurship. And I guess, can you kind of take, uh, take us through your journey with that? So you did college pro um, while you're in university and then um, continued to do it afterwards. And uh, that's actually how we met. And so just kind of take us through that journey um, on what happened next. Cool. So at some point I was like, construction's not cool. I hate construction. Let's try and do something <laughs> else. I know how to run a business and, and lead a team. So I saw, uh, a gap in the market where I had all these loyalty cards in my wallet. Um, and I thought that, you know, it was time to get into tech. So I took all my savings and I started this company called Sprout that basically created loyalty programs for small and medium businesses that let people connect their debit and credit cards uh, to said loyalty programs so you could just earn points automatically. Um, and basically as soon as that I had that idea, well, first of all, I didn't know anyone in tech i thought that being uh, a, uh like a tech founder or whatever just meant living in costa rica and <laughs> clinking coronas with the bartender like just wearing a, a funny hat and living the dream yeah and, and very quickly i i had a team of like i don't know like 25 outsourced people that i had to pay now and that was very much not the case yeah um so i don't know anyone and i didn't know what i was doing um but oddly enough, <clears throat> within, I was able to get to market within six months and then started to introduce myself to the community. So talking to like accelerators or mentors in tech. Um, and I applied for an accelerator in Calgary, which is where we met. It's um, just called the accelerator, Peter's, Peter Bokoff's and moved to Calgary. And as soon as I started to immerse myself in the culture, I think is when things started to change. Like I went from a a business idea that was able to get to market now to being like a tech founder and that's kind of the community that i got from the accelerator was like was very beneficial in making me feel like i was not alone 
but it was actually detrimental and focusing on the wrong things. It, like it ha- for some okay. reason, plugging into a community had me, had me focus on the externalities of being in tech as opposed to uh, no one really, back in Edmonton, no one really knew. I was kind of, I wasn't keeping it to myself, but I was just like, let's do this thing as opposed to making it, you know, making it, uh, making my life about it. Yeah. So the, the difference there is uh, I really started to go down this rabbit hole of like um, external validation, doing things for the showmanship, uh, doing things because like, I still loved it. And I thought that it was really important, but ultimately doing things for other people, impressing people that would not show up for me if I called 911 uh, or if there were like lights blaring. So entrepreneurship was a, I didn't realize that that was the case for yeah. a long time. And then I read a book in an afternoon and that book like hit me like a train and, <clears throat> and it changed everything. But, but yeah, that's, that's, I think some of the context. What, what book was it that you read? Oh, it was Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Gotcha, yeah. Yeah, and I think it just might have struck at the right time. You know, sometimes you like watch a movie and it's, man, you watch it later and it's great. So at that point, one of the biggest things that came from the book um, was this concept of like, a lot of the problems that you have right now, consider that they, consider that you signed up for those problems and you may not actually want them. Like you can upgrade your problems to something else. So the problems that I had were like spitting my tires, having a lot of people around me that would not show up if I called 911. Yeah. Um, and I was not able to uh, ultimately action on the things that I wanted and I needed external resources, be that like cash or people with other skills. And I couldn't do those things. I was just fucking tired of it. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to upgrade my problem to being behind the scenes to my new problem being like, how do I spend eight hours a day learning a skill quietly. Yeah. How do I like just be quiet, quiet mastery is this like notion that I discovered. Um, and it was uh, very impactful. Quiet mastery has been like extremely impactful, Amazing. which is basically in the antithesis to entrepreneurship, which is like, <laughs> yeah, for me, it was all hubris. Okay. How so? Um, you get told to pitch your story and you get told to make like your story super attractive and to make your like pitches super attractive. And you are also told to, you know, create a sustainable business model. And, you know, I'm like 21 with no savings. Let's be real. Like somebody with who's 21 with no savings, um, you know, is not going to start a billion dollar company uh, or any kind of like uh, scale until they have a skilled team you know, and like just really focus on bringing a product to market, which costs money as well. Yeah. It doesn't cost a lot, but you need people around you and you need a little bit of money. So it was hubris because like without those things, uh, you're kind of fucked, you know, yeah. and I just like kept going. Um, yeah. So the hubris that it was going to happen when there are indicators that it is likely not going to, and that's okay. Yeah. And while you were sharing that, you know, you you spoke to the fact that once you started, started immer, um, sorry, immersing yourself in kind of the community, a lot of the focus shifted to those external factors, right? Um, what would some of those external factors be? Like, can you name any specifically that, you know, that you remember? Uh, yeah, like 
making a positive impact networking is the biggest one. Okay. Networking meet like, just like meeting potential investors, going to pitch nights, meeting other founders, like important, but definitely not even close to as important as uh, gaining a user base that I already had in Edmonton. Yeah. You know, like none of that shit mattered actually. If yeah. I had an actual product that was on the app stores with real people using it, that's fucking miles ahead of where I was when I moved to Calgary. So it was entirely impressing people with gray hair with a cool two minute pitch and sexy buzzwords. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, while, when we talked about this, uh, over a drink, it was, you know, like a lot of admiration on my side to hear kind of the, the step back that you took. Right. And, um, how you were willing to kind of take that step back or perceived step back at least. Right. Um, uh, because, you know, there is, I think a lot of, you know, call it whatever you want, like a cool factor, sexiness associated yeah. with being an entrepreneur, being in tech and, you know, being part of, uh, being a founder. Right. And, um, you know, having the, the self-awareness to realize that it's actually not you know, serving your purpose anymore and it's not for you and the humility um, to take that step back. Can you speak to that a little bit of, um, you know, if there, was, if there was one moment when you finally kind of, so you read the book and, you know, um, was it just, was that the moment where you're like, okay, I'm actually, I'm not in alignment with what I want to be doing. Was it after that, did it open your eyes to like something that you hadn't seen before? Um, so I guess just like what made you realize one, that you weren't on the right path. And then yeah. two, just talking a little bit about the humility to take that perceived step back. Humility wasn't at the forefront. It was almost like frustration was at the forefront. Okay. And it happened immediately as I was reading the book. Um, Cause I'm, I'm like taking notes I'm reflecting as I'm reading chicken scratch everywhere. But the, the, I don't know, the turning point, like the moment of epiphany was asking myself, whether these people would show up if I called 911. Like I know I've said that five times already on this call, but all this energy was being spent talking to people that are in my network, be that other founders or potential investors or people who run accelerators or blah, 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 blah. Yeah. None of them would actually show up. And all of my energy was being spent on these relationships. And like, fuck that. You know, that's when I, that's, so that's why frustrations at the forefront, not humility, because gotcha. like job, aside like entrepreneur sexy aside i just knew that that wasn't sustainable yeah. um and so i decided you know if i can't spend my energy on these relationships which as someone who doesn't have an engineering background like software um i need to be doing that if i'm going to continue being a founder i need to be networking you know i need to be like pitching and meeting investors and all, always on so if i'm not going to do that well, I just can't do it at all. You know, I, I can't not network and be a founder without technical skills. Yeah. So, so that's, that's when I dropped it um, and, and moved on to product design, which is a skill that I had been learning over a number of years being a founder. Um, so yeah, humility was not at the forefront, but it's a really important conversation because of just how sexy being, you know, a CEO running your own business is perceived. It's just like the pinnacle of success. Yeah. 
yeah and you know a lot of it a lot of it rings true for me right of you know realizing that i didn't feel authentic in putting on that show yeah right? of you know i i felt like i was i was putting on a show um for other people to try to impress other people and yep. in reality and what i've come to have a lot of clarity around which you know i'm very glad for myself is that i actually enjoy doing like the dirty work of like actually running the business actually you know um going through that and what i didn't enjoy was putting on that mask of like oh you know what i actually just had a fucking shitty day like a really shitty day with employees and money and um you know challenges and suppliers and whatever it might be and then you know like worried about making payroll worried about if i'm going to be able to pay people and then all of a sudden going into a meeting and being like oh yeah everything's going great you know everything's perfect yeah. um we're doing so well like no problems at all and you know really feeling that disconnect is one of one of the big um what, what you know one of the big the big rubs let's call it um that you know had me feeling inauthentic and one of the reasons why i decided to to change things up you know at the beginning of the year um yeah so no i again i just i want to commend you for you know, even if it wasn't your driving factor it would still did take a lot of humility to follow through um and that was a big one for me too where i was like you know having this sexy title of um, sexy title and responsibility and you know being quote-unquote important to people and then kind of walking away from all of it and like going and working in a restaurant essentially as like a glorified busboy for a couple months because I needed to pay the bills <laughs> right and it, it took a lot for me to get through that um and I had to tell myself a story while I was there of like you know one day i'll be able to tell this to to people it'll make a great story of like and that's what got me through it you know and yeah. help not get down too down on myself of like you know this perceived 10 steps backwards it's like knowing you know in my heart that i needed to do it in order to go a hundred forward so i i think i can speak for both of us when i say that that transition gave a give us our power back because there's this total dynamic with being a founder. It's like, yes, you're your own boss, but no, you definitely still report to people. You definitely still need to ask people for things. Um, and it fascinates me that there's like successful, uh, you know, or like the people who go to pitch events to potentially, and I obviously have a chip on my shoulder about this. <laughs> uh, why are you a successful tech executive watching a 21 year old pitch? Like the power imbalance there is fucking bonkers. It's a waste of time. Someone should have told me that like, that's not going to happen and that should be focusing on different things. And there was one time that I got eviscerated. I was actually at our private pitch night. Uh, not the, when we went to Denton's or whatever yeah. Yeah. Uh, prior, I got eviscerated in one of those rooms by someone who's like pretty big in Calgary. Yeah. And I just had like, are you getting off by that? Like, why is that even a system? There should be, there should just be a larger barrier to entry. I think like not everyone can be a founder. Not everyone idea is going to make it. Should yeah. really focus on like back to business basics, really simple economics of selling something for a profit. Yes. That's the first stage. 
the showmanship is like very much uh, like a C, D, E priority. Yeah. And unless that basic economics are there, it's all showmanship. Um, So I really wonder like why without basic economics present in these pitch nights, people are even, people who know the economics are wasting their fucking time. What is it for? Because I got eviscerated and I don't, I didn't come across like, I don't think I left that any the wiser except for really understanding what the power dynamic was like. So leaving, leaving and then, you know, you, you worked in a restaurant uh, and I went and worked at Safeway, despite the surface level uh, sexiness of job appearance, I got my power back. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing. And like, just you speaking to those basic economics is something that has, is really speaking to me. And, you know, I, I wonder too, if it's almost uh, where we got our quote unquote business training of like, you know, when you're out there trying to paint houses for a summer so you can pay for tuition, like that's what you're doing. You try to make profit. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, well, I manage my expenses. I manage my labor and then I make a profit at the end of the day, instead of yeah. this idea of like, I'm going to sell you this great story so that you give me a ton of money so that I lose it as fast as possible so that I can then go and raise more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a disconnect for me on that of like, yeah. well, but this like, you know, this company isn't actually doing anything or getting any traction or making any money. And um, like, what, what's the point, right? And for me, there is that big disconnect and I, I'm not taking anything away from, you know, the very few that as a model, that is what they need to do. You know, like company, totally. companies like Uber or, um, you know, some of these huge um, unicorns where like, you know, that, that is the business model of like, they know they're going to lose money and they, they build billion dollar companies and that's amazing. And that's the point zero 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 one percent Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, there's always a big disconnect for me um, on that. And I think we're very aligned on it. So. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and we're running out of time here, but you know, one of the last things I wanted to touch on is a really cool conversation that we had about um, kind of just your, your journey on reimagining what relationships look like to you and kind yeah. of, you know, not, not, uh, just going along with specifically what society says, how they should look. And so if you could just talk to that a little bit. Yeah. It, um, I kind of a long, like three year relationship in, in February. And then I, I guess I just noticed that I like wanted to meet people. Um, but the underlying question was like, how do you, how do you do that? Because the, the follow-up from meeting someone is like immediately gauging whether you're going to date them. And that's just like the story. Yeah. The opinion that has been formed over a while for, I think a lot of people, like you don't just meet someone casually and then go like, cool. Like, thanks for your time. I really enjoyed that. Like, but, um, but thank you. That's not a thing that we've learned how to do. Yeah. So generally speaking, this year has been a year of asking questions for me. Um, you know, during Black Lives Matter, the question was like, are there ways that I'm subtly racist? Like there are definitely ways that I benefit from systemic racism. So I wanted to like ask myself, how do I uncover those? Um, with shows like RuPaul's Drag Race, there's questions like, are there ways that I'm subtly homophobic? Are there ways that I'm 
perpetuating toxic masculinity. Um, and then I, I was like, well, well, hold on a sec. If I'm asking those questions, well, can I ask those questions to relationships? So the, the question was, are there options besides exclusive monogamy and being single? Mm-hmm. Are there ways that individuals can share time? Specifically, can, can a man meet a woman and be emotionally available, be vulnerable, you know, be chivalrous, um, but like not immediately need to get into a relationship? Can that dynamic there exist? Can people share time with each other um, and not go right into like, right into I love you, right into let's get married? Can people in their 20s like just experience time together in a transparent uh, way without making a whole thing about it? Uh, yeah. So that's been like a, a, a really awesome question for me because in the absence of that, there's very much like a, a need to come across a certain way such that that other person gauges you as potential life partner material. Yeah. So it, I don't know, it didn't work for me in the past. Um, so I just wanted to see if there was something else and, uh, and there is. So for everyone out there, like you don't need to, you don't need to rush into a relationship. You, you and this other person can be whole and come together and enjoy your time together and see, and see where it goes. And that's totally okay. You don't need to label it. For sure. And, um, you know, it's, it's such an interesting conversation that we had around well, everything, but specifically, you know, around relationships like this. And, you know, for me, it goes back to one word that you said there, which I think is one of the most important, which is transparency, right? Transparency and open communication and setting your intentions from the get go of like, this is where I'm at. These are the questions that I'm asking. These are you know, some of the ideas that I'm challenging or, you know, and just being open and honest with that person. And I think where a lot of the problems arise is when people, I think it comes back to shame, right? Is that they have shame around, I'm not supposed to be doing this or like, you know, this, this isn't what people do or this is what, what I'm allowed to do and therefore I'm going to lie, right? Or yeah. hide pieces of who I am or what I'm doing. Um, and you know, that's where I believe a lot of hurt comes from, right. And a lot of hurt and a lot of, a lot of the, the issues, um, with, you know, relationships are, are tricky, no matter what, no matter what they look like relationships with another human being are always tricky. And I think a a lot of the problems come from hiding pieces of yourself or hiding intentions from that other person where, you know, they're, they're now making decisions on information that isn't correct or not when they don't have the full picture. And people tend to hide things in order to fit into the ideal of a relationship that we've been sold as a society. So people will like hide that they're seeing somebody else because the perceived right thing to do is to only see one person and be monogamous. And I'm not bashing monogamy because clearly monogamy works. Like people get married and it's very effective. it's just that there are potentially other options. That's all. And so asking and going full circle back to in the beginning, we talked about like discovering what as an individual you want. If you want to see multiple people, cool. Tell them yeah. just like, hi, <laughs> yeah. I right now I'm interested in, in like casual dating. I'm seeing some other people, but you know what? There's does not detract from like what I think that we have together. We can still emotionally connect. And I can still see other people like to me, that's true. That's true. So as long as it's true to you, 
Um, whatever's true to you, share that and, and be uh, fully transparent about it and let someone not be down with it. Yeah. yeah. You know, that it doesn't need to be their truth either, but it's so much better if rather than two people um, like living 70% by their truths coming together, uh, that's going to fail. You'd rather have like two people 100% living their truths, agreeing or disagreeing and walking away from it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that's such an important piece too, is it is okay if another person is not okay with what you do. Right. And and when I say that, of like, you know, this is kind of where I'm at, this is my situation. And, you know, um, being truthful and transparent with you, this is kind of what it is. And, you know, they don't have to be in that same spot. Right. Like they don't want to, they don't have to, automatically be okay with it it's okay to disagree and I think you know a lot of times that's where the conflict comes from is the position of I'm right you're wrong totally right and either like I'm right for my beliefs or you're wrong for not thinking the exact same thing that I think and yeah just being okay with it right and so I I just I think that's so important this this really beautiful thing happens when, when two people start to live, live their truth together, or discover what that means. Because like a couple months ago, I didn't actually know what that was. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what that truth was, but I was dedicated to uncovering that. Um, and when two people come together and don't make this traditional view of monogamy, their truth, they can actually create something beautiful together. They can actually fully invest as two individuals who know what they like and know what they want and create something that is wholly theirs. And that maybe it doesn't look like a traditional relationship, but it's by design. Like it is so beautiful for a relationship to be by design, as opposed to this stupid fucking fairy tale of love at first sight. And I fell in love, you know, like I don't need to fall in love. Like I want to choose love. Falling in love is I just don't do things anymore that are not by choice, but on the topic of someone else not liking it, it's yeah, that has to be, that has to be okay. You gotta, you gotta let them uh, think that. And also don't make yourself, don't start to question whether what you want is wrong just because somebody else thinks so. Um, Cause there's, there's definitely people who are like, nope, exclusive monogamy. That's the way to go. And initially I was like, well, shit, maybe they're right. But I found that that's not the case as long as what I'm doing isn't harming other people. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my big one is like, you know, with, with almost all things I go back to like, you know, it, and you know, it might, it's not, doesn't sound pretty, but like, I don't care what you're doing as long as you're not hurting anybody. Right. Like why should it affect me? Right. Like, I don't care. And I'm just naturally curious. So I love learning about things anyways. Um, and it's trying to just remove a lot of that judgment or the shoulds of that's not what you totally. should do. Or that's not how yeah. it's supposed to look. So yeah. Um, love that. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're running out of time here. So just before we go, is there anything that you wanted to say um, that you didn't get a chance to, or anything that you wanted to bring up um, before I let you go? Um, guys, start telling your friends that <laughs> you love them. Uh, be emotionally available. Uh, don't lie to women. Um, and donate if you have extra money. 
<laughs> love that. Um, thanks so much for this. Um, thanks, really good to have an amazing time uh, working people. Amazing host. Thank you. <laughs> an amazing host, Jared. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Um, where can people connect with you uh, if they want to get in touch? Um, uh, oh, I don't know. I didn't think about this. I guess like by email. I don't have Facebook. Sure. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, email. Yeah. Info at georgevasan.com. I'm sure you have like links in bio or however podcasts work. Yeah, I'll put that in there. Um, yeah. Amazing. And my last question here for you is just, uh, what is the next phase in your journey look like? Mm. Um, next phase in hmm. keeping like where I'm at right now. Right now, I have friends and family uh, that I love and a job that I love, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna maintain that and and stay with the gratitude in a in such hectic times that we have around the world. I'm so fortunate that my, my next journey is just like maintaining gratitude. Love that. Amazing. Once yeah. again, thank you. Um, we'll connect soon. And uh, yeah, I just amazing okay. talking to you. Thanks again. Thanks, Jared. Take care. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'd love to hear any feedback that you have through Instagram at Jared Salikin or by email jared at jaredsalikin.com as well as it really would mean the world to me if you liked and subscribed to the podcast thanks so much